Hey there, thanks for joining us for the latest podcast from Resound Church. We really believe that together we are better, and our heart is to reach, send, nurture, and disciple people as they become all that God has intended them to be. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or head over to our website, resound.church forward slash app, to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Right now, it's my privilege to invite Wayne, our senior minister, to come and bring the word this morning. And I know it's going to be an awesome word, so get ready to be challenged and receive what God wants to speak to us today. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you. Good morning. Long weekend, lots of people probably taking a holiday somewhere, good on them, enjoying. Hey, isn't it good to have warm weather again? I don't know what happened to summer, it disappeared. Somewhere, somehow, it just took off into the sunset. I think I heard uh, one report said we've had the coldest summer for 19 years. And, um, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's not ideal. I don't know about you, who, who enjoys the warm weather? Yeah. A few people do. I, I mean, 27, 28, it's a very comfortable uh, sort of temperature, feels good. When we get to 45, it's maybe a little bit hot, but 27, 28, it's good. I think somehow we need to vote and get an extended summer with the temperature staying at that level the whole time. So I don't know how we can arrange that, but I think that's what we need to do. Um, there'd be a whole lot less Victorians travelling to Queensland if that was the case, wouldn't there? Because the only reason you go to Queensland is for the warmer weather, but, you know, so. Hey, it's my privilege to talk to you today. We're starting a new series, it's called Church Is. And the reality is this, the church has changed over the last hundred years. Its practice, its position, its politics, its perception, and its permeation. Lots of P's there, couldn't get rid of them. it's, It's changed over the last hundred years. A hundred years ago... The church had a place of dominance in in the society, but definitely in the West, that's decreased dramatically. I do want to say this, you know, it is Mission Sunday. I was with with a friend, and you know the friend, I just won't say his name, and and you'll understand why, and it's an area in uh, Southeast Asia that we support, Um, and you know, over the last 12 months or so, they haven't been able to baptise as many people as they normally would because of COVID restrictions. But as we were talking, uh, they did a survey of decisions made in their organisation in the last 12 months. Over 600,000 decisions made for Christ in the last 12 months in that area. On, On top of that, I think there was 2,200 or 2,300 churches planted, which is amazing when you consider how that country was affected by COVID and everything that took place there. Uh, The church in the West isn't quite prospering the same. Now, over the last 12 months, the church has had to retool, rethink, reshape, repent and re-envision. And I'm talking more so about the church in the West. And the reason it's gone going through this process, the reason it's gone through this process, is too often the church has become a place people attended rather than the people who attend. Now, you've heard this before, um, and I'm sorry if it sounds like a repeat, but it, it is a repeat because I still don't think we get it. 
You know, the church is not the building. It's not the clergy. It's not our history. It's not the denomination. And it's not a meeting. Now, you may say you go to church on Sunday morning, but the church is people. It's not a location. You go to a building on Sunday morning. It's not the church. The church is you and I together and and, and all the people online for that matter as well. And what we've got to do is is rethink the church. Uh, The world uh, we know has suffered change, dramatic, significant change over a a very short period. Some people will say, you know, and, and I'll go through some some brief statistics, if you like, but the church is decreasing in number in the West, and we need to accept that as a fact. Uh, attendance has decreased dramatically in the Western church. In other words, you know, people used to go to church every Sunday. Maybe a hundred years ago, people that attended church would go every Sunday. They would cancel everything else to make sure that they were a church on Sunday. But as Time's gone on, and especially over the last 30 or 40 years, attendance dropped from, you know, uh, say three out of four weeks to two out of four weeks. And now in the US in particular, if a person attends church once out of four, did I say weeks or months? Did I get that mixed up? Everyone's listening, aren't they? So it's, it's, it's like, it's now, if you attend once a month, then that's, a, that's considered regular attendance. So church attendance has dropped dramatically. The number of people attending church has dropped, but the number of people who identify as Christians has also dropped. And so, you know, in the West, our responsibility, our challenge, our call hasn't changed. The Bible hasn't changed. But what we're doing and how we're doing it has to change. We need to rethink, re-envision, at times repent, Because the way we've been doing it probably hasn't aligned with what Christ had in mind anyway. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments today about the church. And we know, I'm I'm going to go back to the the original word, if you like, from the Greek. It's, It's ecclesia. It means the called out ones. The church is the, those that Christ called out. And we know the, the concept was originally Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he called out the disciples to come and follow him. And in the same way he calls to people, he calls them out and they become the, the ecclesia, the, the gathered ones. Now, there is no criteria other than being called. Too often the church has created steps It's created barriers. It's created um, hurdles that people have to jump over. If if you want to be a part of the church, then you need to do this, this, and this. No, no, no. All that you need to do is respond to Christ's call to become a part of the church, which is a group of people. I'm going to run through a bunch of uh, scriptures that mention uh, the, the approach. Matthew 16, 18 says this, and I tell you, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You, you know, there are many people struggling with the church in the West and working out how they can change its impact. And it's, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's, it's not the prerogative of a man or a woman to grow the church. It's Jesus' desire to grow his church. He will build his church. He will build the called out ones, if we can put it that way. Matthew 18, 15 to 17 says this. 
If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. There is a system or a process here that Jesus is saying. He's saying, take it to a larger group of people who have the same values that Jesus himself has. If you've got a problem, try and work it out. If you, if you can't work it out, take it to a larger group of called out ones who will help you work it out. And then if they refuse, he says, call them pagans or tax collectors. And <laughs> it's an interesting approach. Acts 5.11 says this, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The whole church, when we read about it in the book of Acts, by this time it had already began to spread um, and there was persecution and the church was gripped with fear, the called out ones, not the building, the building doesn't, the, the building doesn't have feelings, it's people that have feelings. The whole church was gripped with fear as a result of what was happening as they were picked on, if you like, or persecuted. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says this, but Saul began to destroy the church. He didn't have a bulldozer. We we know that he stood and watched Stephen get uh, stoned. By destroying the church, he was destroying people. It wasn't a meeting that he stopped, it was people that he was after. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men, both men and women, put them in prison. How was he destroying the church? By going to the place where they met. Where did they meet? In houses. You know, we know, and I'll probably go back to it later, but Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 to 45 speaks about how the church met in houses. They did go to the temple at that particular point. Later on, they met in, in uh, groups as called out ones in places that were similar to synagogues. That was the practice of, uh, of the church. Now, Acts 9 verse 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Gal- uh, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Again, re-emphasizing the fact that the church is you, it's the church is me, it's people, people that feel good, people that feel bad. Remember, this, the church felt fear at some point and it felt peace at another point. It increased, when it increased, it didn't do an extension, it just meant there were more people connected to the church. Acts 14 and verse 27, it says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Here, Paul is uh, going from place to place. And what's happening is they're gathering people together and talking to them. Isn't it interesting? You know, we know in Revelation, the church, it, it addresses seven different churches. The church in this location, the church in this location, the church in this location, not the building, but the people that gathered as followers of Christ. We need to redefine the church in our thinking because it's still a part of our vocabulary to say we go to church. 
which doesn't make sense. Uh, We might go to a party, we might go to a gathering, but church is people. If we go to the church, we're going to the people, not to the building. As we talk about redefining the church, we need to change the way we think, we need to change the way we practice. Jesus called out the disciples and he's calling out the church. The call is to gather together The call is to discipleship or to Christ following. The church is people, and you've heard us say this before, but people are our priority. People are more important than things. Things will always be something that we can discard, something we can lose, something we can throw away. But people remain eternally important. Past year has demanded that the church conduct itself differently. Some churches, meaning gatherings, coped well and some suffered. The church isn't an online meeting, though it's, it's meant to be, amongst many things, a community of called out people. <coughs> if I can say it this, can you just pass that bottle of water, please? That one, yeah. And so some churches, when we were locked down, they may have struggled with going online. The point is this, what they really struggled with was finding an alternative way for the community to connect. Going online is not about you seeing me, and I know there are people watching the screen now and they can see me, I can't see them, all I can see is some strange looking guy behind a camera. He looks strange whether he's behind the camera or not. <laughs> and he's, he, you know, it's going to be 28 degrees today and he's wearing a, a puffer jacket. <laughs> That's why he's strange. That's this, but anyway, we can work through his issues at some other stage. And... But the point is this, uh, some churches struggled and some didn't. Uh, And the reason they struggled, the ones that did struggle, the reasons they struggled was they were unable to pivot to a place where they could find an alternative way for the church, the people, to connect with one another. Now, I know some people find um, connecting online uncomfortable. Some people are over-connecting online. We know that connecting online is a poor substitute for touching one another in, in an appropriate way. You, you, you know, there is something... Um, the five love languages... Is, what's his name again? Is it um, Gary Chapman? Gary Chapman goes through five love, love languages. One of the love languages is touch. And the reason touch is important is because you and I need to get close to one another and we do actually need to touch. There was... Um, some assessment done, uh, not through our local church here, but in, in China, there's an orphanage where abandoned girls mostly and some disabled were left in an orphanage and the local people that were caring for them didn't touch the babies and the ones that they didn't touch suffered considerably. You know, so they were born and then abandoned and then they were left untouched you know, skin on skin, and they struggled. And what, what happened is some doctors came in and said, listen, this needs to change. You're going to have to get past what you think of them 
uh, because they had a prejudice against these abandoned kids. And you're going to have to pick them up. You're going to have to cuddle them. And what happened is that their health improved dramatically as a result of touch. You need to be in a community with people where you get the opportunity of connecting with one another. And whether we're online or whether we're here in person doesn't make any difference. We still need one another. We cannot live isolated and alone. And so it's important for us to realise we're a community of called out people who need interaction. Rick Warren describes the purposes of the church this way. He says, Warren suggests that these purposes are worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry and mission. And that they are derived from the Great Commandment, Matthew 22, and the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Yeah, I I want you to think about what the church can and should look like going forward, understanding that we're called by Christ to be together. The first point is this, we're called to be a community. And and, and by that, it's, it's about being. It's not about doing, it's about being. We're called to be a community. Acts 2, 42, 45, I mentioned it earlier, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, I haven't got time to talk about all of this, but Um, key things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and a prayer. Some key components of what the church does. They mix with one another, they share with one another, they learn with one another. Going on to the second part or the last verse, it says they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Some people go, oh no, that's way too, that's way too much for me. And You know, I'm not suggesting that you sell your possessions today or your property. Now, you're welcome to, but I'm not suggesting that. But in the context here, what we've got, and I need to be quick, uh, what, what we've got is people from all around the known world were gathered together in Jerusalem and they had limited resources. Uh, they, they carried resources on their trip. They got to Jerusalem, they planned to stay for a certain length of time and then they were going to leave Jerusalem and go back to their homes. What happened is because they found out the Messiah had come and they'd become Christians, they'd become Christ followers, the the resources they had were maxed out. They'd used their resources and not only did they not have what they need to get home, they didn't have enough to continue to uh, to live where they were. Uh, Many of them didn't have a place to stay. And you may say, well, that's ridiculous. Didn't they plan ahead? Well, they did. But at that time, there was no banks for them to go to the ATM and withdraw their money from. They didn't have any access to more resources. And so what happened is the other members of the church, where they could, sold possessions to help those who were poor in that sense. Now, when we say poor, they may have been poor at that moment. It didn't mean they were permanently poor. Because if you lived in Rome and you travelled to Jerusalem, which who knows how long it would have taken by boat, 
You wouldn't have taken all of your resources. You wouldn't have taken all of your possessions. As a matter of fact, you would have taken only what you needed for the trip. The reason is, is because if you were robbed, you would only want to lose what you had. You wouldn't want to lose everything that you had. You wouldn't have taken everything that you owned. You would have left it in safekeeping with somebody else. So the reason people were selling what they had to give to those who had need was it was really obvious and we would probably do the same for those who are connected with us if we needed to do that. Is that right? Oh good, because I'm really in need, Josh. <laughs> John thirteen thirty five says this, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. The church is called to be a community and the primary The primary value ought to be love. And if you look back at Acts 2.42, verse 45 rather, um, what they were doing is they were expressing love in action by selling their possessions. And like I said, that's not the point. But the point is they express their love. And what we need to do is also express our love. A community ought to be developed around common values and mutual care. Most communities hold to common beliefs and, and the barriers to connecting have usually been broken down. We need to think as a church, do we have common beliefs? Now, not everyone believes exactly the same thing in this room or online. And there are some things it's important to hold to and some things that are not important to hold to. But the point is this, Christ is calling all of us And, you you know, if Christ was here and he's calling all of you, you are all going to come from different positions, different perspectives, different ideals, different beliefs. The point is this, as Christ calls you closer to himself, your perspective, your position, your beliefs may well change as you get closer to him. Now, the reality is this, all of us are distant from Christ in that sense. In other words, there isn't anyone who has everything nutted out perfect and right. We're all on a journey of getting closer to Christ as he continues to call us and our perspectives, our ideas, our beliefs continue to evolve or change as we understand things in a new light. Community in our day and age is different culturally to the New Testament model. But when it's experienced, it's life-giving, supportive, caring, and ideally a discipling or a learning experience. There needs to be a commitment to interaction and relationship is the entry point, but without contribution, it's hard to belong. And I've said a lot in these few moments, even in that statement, but you need to understand, number one, you know, if Christ is somehow here and everyone's there and he's calling them, the only way you get closer to Christ is by moving because he's not moving. He is perfect. He's right. He's got it all together. We're in a place where we need to move towards him, which means a contribution, a willingness to move, a willingness to understand, a willingness to change. We've also got to, at the same time, express the values that he's espoused as we travel on our journey, which means as we travel, we help those who need help. We care for those that need to be cared for. We love those that are around about us, despite the differences we might have. The second point is this, we're called to be a company. And, um, and that's around doing as opposed to being. A community can be a community 
a company does something. And I'm not talking about a corporate company, but a company of people. Matthew 4, 18 to 20 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. In other words, enter into community. And secondly, and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, there is a doing component, not just a being component, but a doing component. The doing component is I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. The church at the same time as following is also advertising who Christ is through its actions and words. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're putting an ad up in the newspaper, but, you know, the way I practice my Christianity is an advert for Christ. And there'll be times where it's good advertising and times where it's not so good. And what we need to do is accept that the church is also called to be a company that is doing, not just being. And our doing ought to be reflected. Galatians 5 and verse 6, that won't come up, um, speaks about faith being expressed in love. In other words, what you believe is shown by how you practice. We're called to be uh, faithful, but we're also called to um, extend our faith through actions that are loving. The church needs to reach out personally and corporately. We ought to be expressing our love for others through actions that demonstrate the love that God has for them. We ought to use words that offer hope, not judgment, life, not condemnation, love, not hate or intolerance. As a company of people, we do this together and our actions ought to be compelled by love and produce life-giving relationships that transform lives. You have the power to do that simply by practicing what you actually believe. The third point is this, and the musos had come for us now that come and stand on stage, that'd be good. We're called as a collective. We're called to influence as a collective. This is something, you know, if the, the first is to be, the second is to do, the third is to become. Probably the saddest component of my message is wrapped up in this point. As a, as a new Christian many years ago, one of the things that frustrated me was the reputation of the church. If you wanted somebody to do something, you didn't normally go to a Christian because you knew it would be substandard. If you wanted an employee, you didn't usually want a Christian because you weren't sure whether or not they were going to perform as they said they would perform. The church's reputation in the community when I became a Christian lacked the compelling component that was so important. I believe it's changing, but it's still got a long way to go. If we ask the person on the street what they think of the church, some people will use words we've heard before, irrelevant, uncaring, judgmental. Collectively, we are the church. I mean, not just here today, but collectively in our nation, we are the church. 
And it behoves us to change the reputation of the church because ultimately the church is not simply a collective of people, it's a spiritual entity. It's called the body of Christ. And whether we realize it or not, the body of Christ has a responsibility to act as Christ to the community in which it's planted. Sadly, people get all bent out of shape about their personal prerogative and in so doing, they bring damage to the church, which is the body of Christ. The church is called to be a collective with a, a corporate reputation that shows Christ and who he is. Jesus summed it up in John 13, 35, as I read earlier. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Unfortunately, that's not being practiced as it ought to. Especially in the broader church. You, you read about division here, there and everywhere. I want to finish in a moment, but I want to read... Two more verses of scripture. Matthew 24 verse 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The testimony of the church is, is still evolving, if I can put it that way. John 17. Remember, this is Jesus' probably most profound recorded prayer. Verse 20 to 23 says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let me read the last sentence. It says, Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The church as a collective has still a long way to go because ultimately we have a heavenly father and a son who gave his life, looking down on the church, meaning all of the people around the world. And Jesus' prayer is still the same. Get on, get on with one another. Love one another. Leave aside your pettiness. Leave aside your grumbling. Leave aside your own personal preferences. Get on with one another so that someone else who's yet to hear may finally hear. I want to finish today, and I, I've said it already once and I'll say it again, the church is a spiritual entity. I started by saying the church is responding to the call of Christ. It makes no sense for the church to continue on its merry way if it started with Christ calling. I think, you know, it needs to end its days still listening to the same initial words, to the same initial call. Christ is calling me, he's calling you, he's calling us corporately together. And he's still doing that today. To sum up this message, what we're going to do is, I think these guys are going to sing a song. You've probably heard it before. But it sums up what we need to do as a church. The, 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 the title of the song is, I Won't Move Until You Speak. 
In other words, God, as a church, we won't move until you tell us what to do. We'll stay right here. We'll wait as long as we can. And we'll only move when you tell us what we need to do. So I want you to sit back. These guys will sing it through once. You can listen, maybe bow your heads and pray. If you're online, do the same. Enjoy the experience. Enjoy the emotion that comes as a result of this song. But then I'm going to ask them to do it a second time. And as they do it the second time, I want you to stand together with us. And we'll be corporately singing the song, but also corporately praying, I won't move until you speak. Thanks. Hey, what a great message. Thanks for joining us here at Resound Church. We pray that you've been encouraged through the message and that you've grown just a little bit closer to God. While you're online, why don't you head over and give us a like on Facebook or Instagram or check out our website at resound.church. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. Well, don't forget next week, there'll be another amazing podcast here to listen to from Resound Church. We hope you join us then.